This is Jonathan uh, with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me Emma, and we have already had a brief conversation, and I said, I need to hit record, (laughs) because we're talking about everything, specifically what's going on within uh, within the country, and then just, you know, in, in detail, whether that's people who may be uh, handicapped or uh, disabled, uh, LGBT, uh, white, black, diversity issues, <laughs> family issues, being discriminated against as, as a female, uh, females that are in real estate investing. We, we've kind of touched the bases in very, very short period of time. So we're going to probably capture some of this on, on the call. So Emma, first of all, Ken, thank you so much for, for joining us. And um, can you just give us a little, uh, a little bit of background about how you got into um, real estate investing? Or oh, we could do that later. We could just continue with our conversation because we were talking really, 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 really. Yeah, heavy. I got deep fast, but I, I actually tend to prefer being around people where it gets deep fast because I feel oh, like uh, that's how you really get to know people, and those are the kinds of conversations that I want to have. I don't want to talk about the weather or or little simple things. Uh, I, I think that the way you get to know people is by just bringing up tough subjects or deep subjects or awkward subjects. Yeah, and we've had a I mean, very, very quickly, within 10 minutes, we went all over the place. Uh, so you mentioned, I think the last thing we were talking about before I hit record was uh, about women who are in real estate and being underrepresented. And mm-hmm. You know why is that? You you mentioned that some people start talking about that, and and I'm pretty sure you've been asked that. So, yeah, your thoughts about that? Uh, well, I've I've definitely seen in the over just the last two years of me being involved that women are becoming more and more involved, and they're being represented in higher numbers. And so I think there's been a lot of progress made, but at the same time, um, one of the reasons they're underrepresented, a lot of it is is cultural. We actually just had a, a post in a group that I'm in yesterday where she's been facing a lot of discouragement and literally she said, they tell me I need to ask a man. And I think that's just a cultural, that's a cultural thing. Ask a man about what? (laughs) About real estate. She's like, I feel like I'm intelligent and capable enough to invest in real estate, but she's getting a lot of discouragement from family and friends that she needs to, I don't think she's married, but just she needs to bring a man or ask a man. Like, I, I don't know, honey, you know, ask your dad or ask your brother ask our friend down the street. She doesn't have any female role models to go to, to ask these questions to. So it's good. She's reached out on social media and found the subgroup that can relate because as much as we want to say, like what you were saying earlier, like, Oh, I don't see race or I don't see gender or whatever. It's a lie. And, and there are certain issues that we have to deal with regardless. Like she is looking for a subgroup of women yeah. who understand that the issues that she's going through are being discouraged and being asked to rely on, on men or just don't do this. You know, your, your husband will take care of you someday or, or that struggle that she's having that a lot of us are having. And you can't, you can't say you don't see that or that doesn't exist or that's exclusive if you're seeking out a subgroup that you can really relate to. So if a man wanted to join our women's real estate group, would we let him? Probably not. But if a man wanted to have a only when you know women would have an outcry so i think it's just whoever's been kind of so 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 you would not let a man join the women's uh real estate investing group because why let me just ask that it's not my group but at the same time why is it okay for us to say a man can't join but if if a men's group started and said women can't join you know that would be that would be a cultural no that would be very politically incorrect so i understand uh 
Yeah. Uh, well, as another example, non-real estate example, just today I'm scrolling through my social media feed. I spend a lot of time on social media because that's how I meet other investors and, sure. and how I try to interact with passive investors. Yeah. Um, and building my brand there is, hey, I buy apartment complexes with people I meet on the internet. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time on there and I'm in a lot of homeschooling groups. And we got this beautiful post today, nice graphics. And she said, hey, I just started a Utah uh, black and brown homeschool uh, group that we meet in person. And the reactions in there were insane. Like, I want my white kids to appreciate diversity in all its forms. And now I feel like I can't attend your group and I only hang around with white people. And, now you're going to go and segregate yourselves and lots and lots of comments. And then there were lots of the, you guys, you bigots, you racists. Like she's just trying to identify just the conversation, even just starting a simple group uh, yeah. where she can show up and know that somebody there uh, identifies with the special challenges. Of well, I would, I would say Mocha Moms, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mocha Moms is a, is a national brand of uh, groups around the country of uh of moms who uh gather and, and kind of share things and i think that they also have some homeschooling things as i remember it's been a couple of years now but um, i would share that with her uh i <laughs> and and again with affinity groups you know specifically around race you know it's our, our country right now is is really in an uproar about a lot of different things but you know uh, some of the some of the things uh, that these uh, other groups, I can imagine, you know, she wanting to start a, a group specifically for black and brown children is possibly to represent history as accurately as possible. Um, yeah. I know we'll pro yeah. I'll probably get a lot of hate mail for what I'm about to say, but you can keep it. <laughs> you really can. Um, you know, Christopher Columbus, while, you know, I'm, you know, I recognize in 1492, he sailed the ocean blue, right? Um, and he discovered America, right? That's what we're taught in, in elementary school. Isn't quite right. If I'm not mistaken, he discovered the Dominican Republic, uh, specifically in Santo Domingo. <laughs> and then, you know, ultimately, you know, moved around. So uh, it's, 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 it's that kind of stuff where you, uh, you know, really set the history straight. And then, you know, give people a little bit more um, access to their own culture. I, I, I'll say this, I know we're way off subject, but... Yeah. <laughs> well, this is actually, you'd be surprised how relevant this type of stuff is in what I do okay. uh, in real estate. Um, how, I, we have a, a complex that we just bought in Little Rock, Arkansas. Sure. I want to say every single tenant in 34 units, or at least 33 units, is black. And when we were driving down there to see the apartment for the first time, our Uber driver, you yeah. know, southern, southern white girl, she drove us to this neighborhood. She says, you don't want to buy a place in this neighborhood. All these people who live here are colored folks. And I just sat there in the car like. Hold on. And she was the real estate agent? And no, I mean, she, was our, she was just our Uber driver. But okay. I, I, I was about to say. Yeah. Okay. I'm from, All right. I'm from the South, right? We yeah. lived in Boston for 20 years. And there was no shortage of racist experiences living in Texas. Um, and now we're in Utah, which is so white that there's there's no shortage of of racial denial, I guess you could say here. Like people recognize that we're not diverse, but and, and it bothers a lot of people. But at the same time, they they want they want the diversity to come in and, and educate them about what it's like to be rather than just 
but in life and see them. Old, I, I yeah, it's the it's the it's the old teachers, black ones, if you if you will, uh -huh. please again. Yeah, putting the onus on the other person, and you get this a lot when you're doing a, a real estate mentorship. People will come to you and they'll say, "Hey, uh, I would love to learn about real estate. What do you need?" Like a lot of things. What do you do? Like, why are you making me? I got to have to work for it. Yeah, I just googled me. Have you gone to go look at my LinkedIn page and see that I like rugby and I used to be a wedding photographer and you know the, these things are out there, you know and uh, yeah, yeah. You have to take responsibility for your own learning. If you have a question, go ask a question. Right? I'm, I'm not saying it was what we were talking about earlier with my family member who he invests in the stock market and I invest in real estate, um, and we argue a lot about uh, the benefits of one or the other. Um, and, and there's no, there's really no winning in that argument because somebody in that situation always wants to be the teacher and nobody wants to be Got the it. student or vice versa. <laughs> Somebody's wanting to come in. He's like, I'm the student. Oh, guru, teach me. And not putting any effort into, like you said, even looking the person up, finding out what they do, connecting with them on some level. Oh, I see what college you went to or I see what town you grew up in or showing that there's a connections. I had one guy come up to me one time and he said, he said, Hey, um, we were just in a small discussion group and he didn't know who I was. He'd never met me. There's no time to Google me. Right. Sure. Um, like he just came up to me afterwards and he said, Hey, I, I really enjoyed um, hearing about what you were talking about. And I'd like to learn more about that. He goes, I'm a software developer. What in your business could be automated that I could help you with? There you go. <clears throat> he told me exactly what his specialty was. And I had to stop and think about it. Like, what do I need automated? And suddenly we're having a conversation rather than people just come out. I'll do, what do you need? I'll work for free. That person is not valuable. Um, well, okay. So that's because I, I, here's the thing. I've done that. First of all, I am. Yeah. I, We've I'm all not, been guilty of that. <laughs> I'm guilty. So I'm not going to say I've never done that, but you know, um, that person is not valuable because why that this, this is good. This is good. Why aren't they valuable? Um, I, I want to back up and say, cause what we're based on what we're talking about before, I don't want to say they're not valuable as a human being. I mean, I business and a business perspective. Um, I'll give you an example. When we read uh, Robert Kiyosaki and he was talking about finding a mentor by working for free. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. We can go work for free. Right. But he didn't really tell you how to go find someone to offer work for free. So my husband graduated from college and he didn't really want to change careers because he had a job that he really liked. And so he just thought, maybe I'll just go get myself an internship in this new thing. Cause he's only, he was on call and he had a lot of extra time. And when he got out of college, he's like, I should go fill it with something, right? So right. he goes to one of his best friends who owned a tech startup. Mm -hmm. And he sits down and he said, I just finished my IT degree. I just wanted to come in and help you. And, and I'm willing to work for free. And he specifically said, I do IT. You have a tech startup. What do you need? And he did the right things. And the guy just looks at him like, I, I have to value this or weigh this against how much money you're going to cost us training you and paying for your parking space in this downtown high rise. And all of the uh, things that go into having somebody working for free is actually not working for free. And that is like why people don't want to get VAs. They're pretty inexpensive, but they don't want to go through the pain of training them. Cause while you're training them, you could be doing something else. And it usually gets to critical mass before you take a step back and think, okay, I've got to pause what I'm doing, create training materials, get this VA up to speed on board, just like, an, just like, just like that. So if you're offering to work for free, um, 
state your value, what you're good at, what your strengths are, but at the same time, recognize that they are taking time out of their business to train you and you may be costing them time and costing them money. Um, maybe you'll make them a ton of money because you'll bird dog a great deal or maybe you'll become one of their passive investors uh, or you'll they'll go out and hit it big and they'll always remember who helped them. So we're looking for those kind of those few people when in the sea of people who come and say, hey, can we help? I love helping beginners. I do it for free because I just like doing it. But a lot of people, I think that's unusual. Um, it is, it is, it is. But I, but the, th the question is, what is your payoff? I mean, obviously, it's not necessarily financial. It may wind up being financial as a payoff for you helping a beginner. But you know, what do you generally get out of that? That helping out, if you don't mind me asking. <clears throat> um, a couple of things. One, it's like giving birth. You know, once the baby's in there, it's got to come out. There's nothing you can do about it. Entrepreneurs talk about this a lot. They have a business idea or something they want to do and they cannot rest until they have given birth or nurtured this, this idea. Um, so part of that's just, just what's in me. I love to, I always tell people my favorite hobby is giving free advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm going to ask for some in a couple minutes, but go for it. Uh huh. So there's that part of it. That's just a natural inclination in me that I need to feed. And so helping beginners and having conversations with beginners, um, it just, just satisfies something inside me. Um, and I think the reason it satisfies me, uh, in a lot of ways is people just want to feel valued and they want to feel recognized for what they, what they can do or what they know or, or anything. And, and I, I, I don't want to be uh, well-known or have fame or notoriety. I just want a quiet life living on my passive income, you know, digital nomad type of lifestyle. So I don't necessarily want to become known, but for the people that I'm with right that moment, I want to I be respected. And it feels, it feels good when people are coming to you and asking for your opinion, your advice, or sharing your experiences, because in that moment, that person that you're talking to is the most important person you could be talking to in that moment or you would be doing something else. And so that person for that moment is the most important person on the planet. And it feels good to have a connection and to be recognized. I'm either learning from that person or I'm teaching that person or we're doing both depending on the different, the overlapping expertise. I love that. I love learning. Um, everybody has something to teach me. Uh, so I, 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 like, I like that. I think that little bit of an ego boost uh, is normal and natural and uh, people are embarrassed that they have a need to be recognized and they have a need to be seen, right. have a need to be respected. Uh, we we tend to feel like that would make us narcissists and that's not okay, but you know, we all need that. We all need need it for validation in some sort. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also heard someone say that there is no success without succession. So if you're not, um, putting, something into someone behind you. You know, I, I have a, a partnership now um, with someone who wants to do some wholesaling of real estate. And, you know, I'm a, a realtor um, and I've worked, you know, used to do some national teaching on the, on the real estate front for a single family, working with uh, real estate agents who need to um, work with investors or who don't know how to. And so, um, uh, you know, and so again, the teaching part, I'm, I'm there. And uh, yeah, he, he came along and he's just like, you know, we're supposed to be partners in this and I feel like I'm not anything. And I'm like, come on, dude, this is, you know, again, I, I get the validation and the recognition for myself, but at the same time, 
I believe somebody else now has the, will have the information at some point in time to be able to carry on and do something with it. And that's good. Now you mentioned that you have a desire to, to, to learn. What are some things right now, you know, if there are any prospective, you know, mentees out there that you want to learn or things that you, you would like to have taken off of your, uh, your table? Are you talking about real estate related? Or are you talking about real like estate crazy? related or otherwise? Because here's the thing, you know, it may not necessarily be a real estate thing that someone could potentially help you with that then you could then, you know, compensate or barter, if you will, in terms of information on, on the real estate side. Okay. Um, does that make sense? So, you know, for instance, yes. you yes. are a graphic designer, you used to teach graphic design, as I remember, uh, through my research, as well as, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh and, and matter of fact you have a you have a degree in, in graphic design um yeah sort of yeah I, my degree is in entrepreneurial management but i have a certificate in graphic design and so i i figured from an entrepreneurial management standpoint i've always been the artsy kid like you're such a good drawler like when i was little so i got that graphic design degree or, or certificate because i felt like to manage my business what i was seeing was a lot of my fellow small business owners are really struggling on the marketing aspect aspect and getting more clients. They focus so much on being a good photographer or a good realtor yeah. that they really miss out on, well, your website's terrible, your materials uh, are unattractive or unprofessional, and that you could go a long way just by learning some sense of sense of design and yeah. appreciating good design and how that influences your business. So I felt like I felt like good marketing um, is, is the first step to getting new clients and most small business owners ignore that. So that's why I did that, but I don't do it anymore. But I think that's one of those things that if you're talking about bartering services, well, what um, are the things that you just want to learn? There may be something else that you already know, uh, or I mean, want to know that uh, again, is not a part of either your current business or even some of the hobbies that you have. Well, I'll give you an example of someone I just had a meeting with yesterday. I posted on Facebook uh, last week that I needed a bookkeeper and I was looking for like a cheap VA type of bookkeeper, you know, like a high school student. I'm trying to get my teenage kids to do it and it's just, they don't want to do it and it's just turning into some friction. I'm trying to follow my CPA's advice and hire my kids and they don't want to be hired. Apparently they... I mean, you can get a nice little tax break on doing that too, but... Uh... <laughs> I, you know, I wish, but I mean, I guess I'm going to get a payroll tax break from paying my VA. But anyway, I had somebody contact me, um, a friend of mine that I know in Utah, she actually is a full-time RVer and uh, she used to rent the RV space at our house. So that's how I met her. Okay. And she texts me and she says, Hey, I do bookkeeping for a bunch of Mexican restaurants over on the East coast. And, um, and she said, I don't know a whole lot about real estate, but she's been trying to get into real estate. So we talked about it a lot. And she says, well, how about I keep your books? Um, her husband's an IT guy. And I said, Hey, you could create training materials for my VA, get on the loom videos, um, and, and do the bookkeeping and, and get the documentation so we can send it out to the VA. So he knows exactly how to do my books. And I said, I probably can't afford you long-term, but, um, but, you can definitely help me and I can, I can pay for, you know, a couple of months. Right. And so after we got done with our first session, we were screen sharing cause she's on the East coast right now herself. Cause you know, that lifestyle, my, my dream car is a, is an RV. So, uh, so she's, she's living that lifestyle anyway. And so after we got off, she said, she said, I'm actually feeling a lot better about this because I was wondering if I would have any value. Cause I don't know that much about real estate. She says, I know about Mexican restaurants and their bookkeeping. And, um, 
I said, well, it's kind of like when you learn a foreign language and you are transitioning over and you just need to learn a new set of vocabulary. That's all, that's all that it is. It's just like going and learning some new words. And yeah, it's like a little bit of cross training. You're, you're kind of 90% there and all you need to do is recognize like the categories and the chart of accounts. And then she's off to the races. She knows how to reconcile. She knows 90% of what she needs to know, but she's getting that real estate uh, insight into it that she's craving. Um, so she's willing to do this for me for almost VA prices, wow. even though she's more skilled than a VA and she's going to create my training materials so we can eventually pass it off to a VA. So that's an example of, of bartering where she wants to know more about real estate and I, I can do my bookkeeping, but I really don't Got it. <laughs> I procrastinate it. So you still have um, to give a, a couple of things that you're looking to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, but that's fine. We'll come back. We can come back to that, but let's talk a little bit more about your real estate business. How did you get involved? You know, you, your, your, your uh, degree in entrepreneurship, obviously this is an entrepreneurial, you know, enterprise, but yeah. you're on the graphic side and then you do wedding uh, photography and you're doing marketing. I mean, what made you make that jump over into, you know, now real estate and real estate syndication multifamily? Um, well, from a business standpoint in general, kind of going back to what we were talking about before the call, when you show up to a networking event or a meeting of any kind and people aren't that receptive to you and you're standing there feeling kind of awkward and, and you're thinking to yourself, do they not like me because I'm a woman? Do they not like me because of my religion or do they not like the color of my skin or they do not like my sexuality or they not like my politics there? And, or maybe they just don't like me. Maybe it's personal. Maybe I, they don't like my personality. You're always kind of wondering, uh, you know, what's going on? Is this, is this bias? Is this discrimination? Or is it just, just, I'm not a very easy person to get along with. And so I socially have not been very successful in, really? in my church. I have not been very successful in. I can't, believe, I can't, I, I, I can't <laughs> believe any of that. I mean, we got on this phone and we went gangbusters as if we've known each other for 20 years. I mean, everything was off the table. I mean, we, yeah. okay, I, well, okay. I, I, I make, I get along with people really, really well. We have great conversations. Um, but the, the, it kind of just stalls out. We're not getting to the deeper best friend, you know, let's get married type of status. And so I found myself being frustrated for a lot of years. I'm from a big family, a youngest girl. And so I, it's kind of like that, oh, everybody's off playing without you. I've always struggled with that. But you know where I've always felt socially very comfortable and very successful is in business, especially uh, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial types of operations. I feel like like-minded people, we're exchanging ideas, we're going out, we're hanging out, catching lunch together, maybe even taking our families together on the weekends. Um, I just, I feel competent in, a, in that type of a setting. And so that's one of the reasons that I pursued that is because you gravitate towards what makes you feel good about yourself mm -hmm. and you tend to shy away from things that make you feel bad about yourself. And so I'd go to mommy play groups or I'd go to homeschool groups or sometimes even to church. And I would just not really feel like I was quite fitting in, always wondering why all these women or families are hanging out together and we're not invited. Like nobody wants to feel like that middle school kid. No, no. I, no. I get sick of that, but I don't ever feel like that when I show up to a business meeting. So, um, did, some, so did you meet a mentor while you were there? They talked about real estate or, you know, buying apartment buildings. I mean, what, what was the spark? Um, I just always felt like I needed to own a rental house. And when I started listening to Dave Ramsey, he'd always talk about owning a rental. 
um, I just thought I had to pay cash for it. So it was taking me forever. And I had my little side hustle. And instead of using that money to make down payments on a rental house, I felt like I had to save it up to pay cash for a rental house. And so then I would be like, oh, forget it. We got to go on vacation. My kids are getting older and, and we can't keep waiting. And then I'd start saving up for a rental house again and not make any progress. And so that was um, kind of difficult because I felt like we were never making any more progress to the rental house goal, but I knew that I should have them and that was going to be my bridge to financial re- freedom. And I'd read so you on step by- seven, step six, step six, step seven for. Yeah. I think that's his, his last step is, you know, invest. Um, I don't, I just think steps one through six are, well, maybe not paying off your house. Steps one through five are great. Okay. And then steps six and seven, um, starts to fall down on the quality of the advice. And so when we got to step five, got it. kept going until I realized, oh, this is not going to get us where we want to be. It's just, it's, it's literally a crock pot. And it was just, we were just getting too old. Um, approaching 40, our kids were starting to, starting to be in high school, moving out. We just couldn't wait any longer. So I had to get a lot more aggressive. Um, so moving to Utah was probably the catalyst because okay. we sold our house in Texas. We didn't have any debt. And we were renting here and I had this pile of cash that I was trying to figure out what to do with. So um, I started hanging out at real estate clubs, which I found on accident. I was actually looking for small business networking, like BNI types of meetings. So I yeah. could go and maybe start a marketing consulting firm for small businesses and help them with their That's social good. media. And, yeah. uh, those types of things like that they were disorganized. They didn't know what SEO meant. You know, those, those Be, types of people. Yeah, I got, okay, I got you. Okay, those type of organizations. I was like, BNI? No, but uh, yeah, for anybody else. They just needed business help. They just needed somebody yeah. to come in and say, and the reason I found that is because my husband, when he got laid off from that tech startup while we left Austin and sure. moved to Salt Lake, those couple of weeks, um, when he was out job hunting and just networking, we're going to all the BNIs and all the meetings. And I'd say, Hey, he's this talented IT guy and looking for a job. And nobody wanted to talk to him. They all want to talk about my marketing stuff. And even the guy who the company he got laid off from went and started a new one. He went and said, Hey, do you need an IT guy? He said, I really don't, but what I really need is a marketer. And so he actually hired me to do a little bit of part-time marketing for him. And I realized, okay, this could be a thing. So when we moved to Utah, I started looking for that opportunity to reach out to those small businesses who just needed help. Like one person could, one person who's a mile wide, but not very deep on any of them. So I can do a lot of things, but I'm not like an expert on logo design or anything like that. I can do lots of, lots of things. So anyway, um, I started hanging out looking for these and some of them ended up being real estate investor clubs, uh, that I just didn't realize. So I showed up and I started thinking, you know, I have this chunk of money. I should give it to one of these flippers or somebody as a passive right. investment and figure out what I'm doing. And so that's where it started. Um, we had that money from real estate. We bought our first house with down payment assistance from our, uh, County. Yep. Um, so that was the only down payment we put I, maybe $500 in earnest money. And then they gave us down payment assistance and we made like $35,000 off that house in four years of the appreciation. And so then we cashed that out and went and bought a nicer house. And that house didn't make any money because 2008, um, we weathered it. We didn't lose any money. We made enough money on that house to pay the realtors when we sold it. Uh, but we, so we walked away with basically $35,000, but we lived there for nine years. So kind of free, right? Sort of. Um, and then we took that, we saved and saved and saved for my side hustle because we were trying to pay cash for a rental. And I said, you know what, let's just go buy a house that we can fix up and, um, and live in forever. I'm tired of all this moving around. We're trying to kind of house hack. And so we went and bought this massive remodel and we gutted the thing. We lived in it and it 
skyrocketed in value because of the area that it was in okay. and because of the forced appreciation that we did. And so we're kind of getting on both sides there. And so we walked away from that. We got all of our cash back out from the first house, from the money we'd saved, and then the appreciation on top of that. And so I felt like, let's go use this. I made it in real estate. Let's go spend it on real estate. And it was extra money. Mm -hmm. So he had a new job and I said, you just keep the lights on, pay for the groceries, pay for the house. I'm going to take this chunk of money that I made from real estate. He lived in those houses, but that was me driving you that. Made that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's buy a house. Let's, and I would pick the area, pick the house. I decided when we were going to move and he just yeah. was like, yes, ma'am. And put the boxes in the U-Haul. I, I felt like I made that money in real estate and I am actually pretty good at this. Uh, I learned actually digital graphics by drawing floor plans on my, on my first computer. Wow. Okay. I just did draw floor plans for hours. So, so this has always been kind of something that I enjoyed. So you took that, that, that money that you had with the forced appreciation and, um, you know, the appreciation, the other appreciation, if you will, from the house, and then you went out. But how did you know to buy an apartment building? I mean, I, that, that <laughs> it's like, okay, we've been doing houses now. How, where's the leap to now? I'm, I'm over here on, on the syndication side of things. Um, I went to the first three I went to, I met a flipper who's kind of a big time flipper and he could use that amount of money right away. A lot of them were like, I don't have a house to flip right now, but he always had something going on. He could use a lot of cash. So he and I hooked up and started um interacting that's the best way to get a mentor is just to to passively invest with them if you have any money at all go find a way to get into a passive investing fund because that person will pay attention to you and they will try to nurture that relationship with you they're trying to keep you as a passive investor but they recognize maybe you'll pull your money out and go do your own deals eventually but you might come back you're going to be grateful you're going to refer you're going to bring deals you're always going to call that person when you have a problem that you can't solve and then they can get in on a deal so, so he was your what mentor. you're asking that mentoring, that's what we get from it is from people either passively investing with us. Cause they're like, Oh, this is hard. I don't want to do it. Just, just invest my money for me or people who go out and become active and they become successful. And then they want to loop us in on deals. Uh, another example is somebody who invested in my last deal. He didn't have that much money to put in, but he was willing to do almost all the work. And he's a smart guy and he has real estate background. I felt like he had potential. Um, and so he's now the managing partner on that deal so that I can go and work on other deals. And so that's been a win-win for both of us, but he didn't need that much money to get into that. Right. Um, and he just had to be willing to, to haul the load. Right. Yeah, right. So, but, so you, you mentored with this person, you passively invested with them and got the mentorship as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And then did they invest in, they said, Oh, there's a multifamily deal over here. And that's how you got in <laughs> No, that's actually kind of funny. Um, the second RIA that I went to, the okay. second, literal, the second RIA meeting I went to ever, the speaker was a young man who was buying his first apartment complex and they had done a lot of like custom home development, things like that. And he just, he said, I quote, he said, if you can just skip residential real estate and go straight for the commercial, just do that. And I was sitting there in the audience. And at that point I didn't own any residential real estate. And I was like, Oh, well, I, I'll just skip it. I'll just go straight to commercial, right? Right. Because he said it and he talked about how it was the same job, how people say it's just as easy to run a big business as it is a small business. I've run very small micro businesses and now I'm running uh, this apartment business. I still run it like a mom and pop. I never want a machine of employees and an office and all that. I run it like a mom and pop, but yet it's generating so much more revenue and traction. Um, it feels like a much bigger business. Um, and it was the same thing. Well, it's like, 
he said, we'll just take your residential stuff that you know, tack on a couple of zeros and change the acronyms. Like instead of ROI, say cap rate. Uh, oh, well, I don't know what ROI is and I don't know what cap rate is. So I might as well just learn cap rate first and skip all right. that stuff. Um, and the irony is I, he said, I'll go out to lunch with anybody. I got to eat. And if you pay for it, I'll show up. So I go. immediately introduced myself afterwards, invited him out to lunch. Um, a couple days later, sat down and I had been making phone calls on some commercial projects um, and just talking to the sellers. They kind of hoped you might buy it. Um, it's just stale stuff off of Lucanet. How many, how many units do you, were you going after at that time? I had no idea. I actually wanted an office building. There was this office. I was starting like a lease option, wholesaling type of thing for single family homes. And that was like what I was going to be doing for my job. But then I was looking for something when I made cash off of that to then invest the cash in. So I wanted this office building because I wanted to set up my office in there. And it was across the street from the kids' high school. Uh, oh, this is great. So I, I called and talked to the seller on that. A couple other projects I saw. I didn't know what LoopNet was at that point. I was just calling off signs on commercial right. property. And I would just talk to those owners. And they would, they would just spew it all out and educate me because I might buy. Even though I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to learn. I pursue every project as if I am going to buy it. And that is not to be misleading to the seller. If it is a good project and I can chase down the people and the money that I need to do it and I can get it figured out and I have the time I need to figure it out, I will buy it. And that's an example of how I got my first apartment complex. So I went out to lunch with him. I told him about this project and he's listening to the numbers. And he's like, this is probably too big for you to take on. And he goes, I know I told you to skip residential, but he goes, maybe you might want to think about doing something a little smaller just to get some credibility because you're going to have many, a tough How many units was he going after? I think that first apartment complex he had was, it was over 100, like 130, I want to say, somewhere in that range. And so I went back and I decided, okay, I'm going to buy a few smaller things, you know, duplex, triplex, that residential stuff. I had the cash. I'm like, I'm going to self-manage. I'm going to learn. I'm going to get some credibility. Sure. I bought eight units that first year. And just using that pile of money as it came back from the flipper, just go buy a new property and rehab it. Uh, I, I felt comfortable with rehab because we lived in our own rehab. So I, I recognized that I had a little bit of a, a little bit of an edge there over a lot of women are afraid of construction. And yeah. that's probably another reason why we're underrepresented is because men tend to be more comfortable with managing uh, contractors and, and all of that. Women tend to be better at the design because that's what we focus on. Okay. Uh, but I felt like with the design background and the construction management background from doing our own projects, because we built two houses from scratch and then remodeled the third one. Um, I felt pretty comfortable with that process. So that helped a ton. So maybe go get involved in some sort of a project, live in your own flip. Even, People say yeah, not to do that. Smaller. Yeah. I said, living in your own flip is a great way to learn construction. Got it. But you mentioned, he said, go get something smaller. So that led to you going to go find your first multifamily deal, right? Yeah, so then I met some more people at the RIA. I saw on Facebook, hey, I've got this apartment complex for sale in this town. I knew the town because my husband grew up near there. I was okay. like, hey, I know that town. I'll take a look at that 50 unit. And um, got the numbers, started running the numbers. I had no idea what I was doing. This was probably a year after I started investing. I got all the classes, learned the calculator, all this stuff. And I just was really struggling with, I kind of put this spreadsheet together and it was ugly. And but I had met somebody else at the RIA who said he loved underwriting. And he said, if you ever need help or have an underwriting question, let me know. Here we go. He told me exactly what he did and offered help. Um, and he'd done a couple of smaller projects like development, uh, entitling lots, like rezoning lots. Yeah. Um, and so I sent him over the spreadsheet and I was really embarrassed. Uh, but I knew this guy would not 
laugh at me or scoff at me. Right, because he offered the help, yeah. Yeah, and he knew where I was. And he comes back and he says, you know what, this is actually a pretty good deal. Not as good as you thought, because you did, you forgot about all these things. He goes, but it's still a pretty good deal. If you need a partner, I think I can bring in the capital for it. I was like, sweet. So here we are a year later, closed on it last February, and um, he's raised a, the majority of the capital for that deal. Uh, it was a lot harder than he thought it was going to be. Okay, um, so... Okay, so let, let's talk about this, this specific. How many units? It was 50 units? That was 50, heavy rehab, class D in a class BC area. Wow. Needed to be major, major facelift. How much did you guys put in per door? 42, something like that. 42, oh, so per door total was 42, but how much did yeah. you invest in renovation? Or that? Oh, 400, uh, 400, 450 on the rental, it needs a million dollars of work, but okay. the rent ROIs start to drop off because you can't push, you can only push rents to here. That's what the market's telling you. And you need to figure out how much you can spend to push the edge of those. Um, because any more than that, you're not gonna, you're not you're gonna over, see it. You're over improving, yeah. Over -improving. So while it needs a million dollars worth of work to be an, a nice property, we can only spend 450. And so we're just making it go as far as we can. Um, we are doing something kind of unusual with that where we've hired a different crew to do each apartment. Um, so we have three, four, five, sometimes six crews run at a time of, of people and they just go in and, and renovate the interiors. So was, and, this, was this vacant or is this currently rented? It's rented, but we have a lot of vacancy because when we put in security cameras, half of them moved out. So <laughs> <laughs> so when you bought it, was it, what, what, was the, what was the vacancy when you bought it? Was it like? Uh, when I put it on a contract, it had 48 units rented, but when, by the time we bought it, it was down to like 12 vacancies or 13 vacancies because we told the owner it was under contract for so long. It took us so long to get the thing closed. So, We're trying everything and finally hit on a strategy that worked, but all the failed strategies of trying to buy this thing so are you using, did you use a bridge loan to, to, to get the? Yeah, we were originally going to finance that one partner was going to put up all of the down payment uh, just as, as a joint venture. And then that fell through. And then we were going to finance it with uh, private debt, the whole thing, no bridge loan, nothing. Just he was going to just buy the whole thing. Um, and then we ended up going with the bridge loan and then having to do a capital raise and syndicate. And so it, it, it was not originally a syndication. I got you. What was the purchase price though? What was the purchase price of the, uh, it was only like 2.3 million, something like that. 2.25 million. And then yeah, it was, it was so ugly that people would get scared when they looked at it. Everybody says, bring me a problem, bring me something that I can fix the problems. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're liars because they see it and they're like, they're not that kind of problem. Yeah. Right. That's a, so, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. So, so what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what market are you, you in? Is this in? That, that's about two and a half hours north of Salt Lake City. It, like I said, in a small town where my husband grew up, it's called Pocatello, Idaho. And I love the town. I think it's a, a classy kind of workforce type of town that's, that's growing at a, it's not growing at Neil Bawa rates, but it's growing and we really know the market. And so that's why we decided to do it. So and it's how, great. It's like how close are you all to, to finishing the renovations and things? We took over management in September, even though we didn't close until February, which is very unconventional. The owner was just like, when are you going to close on this thing? We're like, we're trying everything we can. It's just one thing after another, right? And so he just told us, he said, just take over the management. We hired our own management company and, and he 
increasingly became less and less involved as we were started renovating apartments back in September. Uh, but so we closed on at the beginning of February and we're about halfway done. We've got about 25, 24, 26 apartments either renovated or in some state of being renovated, like under construction. So um, the vacancies haven't changed though, because every time somebody moves out, uh, some of the residents have moved into the newer units or people will move out just as we're finishing more units. And so the vacancy is still uh, where it was, but our gross, our gross uh, revenue keeps going up because we're charging more for rent, exactly. right? So exactly. our and, expenses and, are higher though. Security yeah. cameras, you know, property management, our expenses are higher. So um, it's all trade-off. But yeah, and I think, I think it's, a, it's good for the long term because now you'll have, you know, with security cameras, it could, you know, potentially move that class D, as you mentioned, to class C, as in addition to the forced appreciation that you're doing with the renovations that you, you have, um, you know, you're halfway done, you should probably be done, what, before the end of the year, I'm pretty sure with the rest of the renovations. Yeah, um, at this clip, and we're always going to have a few people who are just long-time residents, they're yeah. quiet, they pay on time every month, and they're not going to move out. So we'll probably have a few units that we won't renovate until that person dies or something. But so we're, we're shooting for like 45, 47 units to renovate by the end of the year. Got it. Got it. Well, this, this sounds, this sounds like one doozy of a first deal. Congratulations. On it. Um, are yeah. you guys looking at anything else right now? Or, I mean, I would assume you guys would be totally engrossed still in this one deal because of the, the amount of, problems no. that you're working no, with. No, that's the surprising thing about it is because you're not only leveraging other people's cash when you do a capital raise, but you're leveraging other people's time to manage it. So we have our property manager. Uh, we ended up parting ways with the first one. It just wasn't working out. Um, but we hired on the second one and I love this company. Love it. Well, go ahead, I, give, them a name. Give, give them the name a shout out so everybody else knows. Trail who they are. Creek Property Management. If you have something along the I-15 corridor in Idaho from Yellowstone all the way down to the Utah border. Call this guy. He is very What's dedicated. The name again? What's the name again? Trail, Trail Creek Property Management, Aaron Felk. And we are so happy with the job that he is doing. And so he's going to, he's a tough act to follow for the rest of our property management companies because uh, we're so happy with him. So if we expand, um, like I bought the next properties are in Little Rock, Arkansas. We just closed on those like two weeks ago, 34 oh, so units. Oh, you have some more. Okay. How many units yeah. are there? 34 so it's a 16 and 18 unit building nearby from the same seller and we have a property manager on that and so far so good but that's what we thought about the first one on the Idaho property so we'll see uh, I won't mention their name when they when they prove out to be like wonderful and I'm praising uh you know I'll be I'll be a little more public but I don't want to have to part ways with them it's always painful the transition is tough on the residents but um you got to do what you got to do so we're so far so good got um, it. they don't they're not they don't move as fast as Trail Creek, um, because I guess here's a lesson on hiring a property manager. We wanted somebody who was big enough to have experience, but still small enough that our property would be kind of a flagship uh, project for him. Yeah. And when you're playing with the big boys, the huge companies, you're just one in an SC of, of properties and they don't move as fast, they're not as nimble. So Aaron is on our site two, three, four times a week. He actually has his local office in our leasing office, so he's That's there a lot. Good. His assistant property manager that manages all those on that corridor actually lives at our place, took over one of the renovated units. So sense. they're there a lot and they're very nimble. They're very fast because of that. And so that's why having smaller properties where they can't afford their own on-site management is so difficult is because 
you need 60, 85 units minimum, depending on the market yeah. in order to yeah. be able to afford a full-time person who's yeah. on the stuff. This is all they do. And because we're just one of many with 34 units and two buildings at that, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're just not able to be nimble enough. So that's not their fault. But I mean, that's, that's, but that's, that's kind of what it is. And you're working through all of that. Are you looking for any more, any more properties right now? Or are you pretty much kind of maxed out in terms of time and cash and leveraging because you have, you know, three buildings now, you know, what the 34 and 50, you're at 80, 85 or 84 units or so. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah. And I have, I have eight in Salt Lake that I self-manage. Um, okay. I, I do a lot of seller financing, like lease option to seller financing. So yeah. those are pretty easy to manage because they only call me if they're late on their mortgage. But um, so yeah, it, I, I would say two, two things. One asset management should really only take you an hour, two hours a week because you're leveraging other people's time, your property manager, your contractors. Uh, we have a full-time assistant uh, who takes a lot of stuff off so that we can go look for more deals and raise more capital. Um, I have two different teams. So the Idaho team is our different people than the Little Rock team. So the Little Rock team, we're actively looking for deals in Little Rock, um, Tulsa, I think, you know, DFW, one of them lives in DFW. How and big, how big are you looking for? Or the bigger, the better, the bigger, the better. If we can, but we're, we, we invest on returns. And so we're not looking for someplace to park somebody's money. We need to have just way above average returns before we'll buy something. So it's really hard to find something. So you're um, looking at return and your, your, your strategy is to cash out in five years or, I mean, what are you, what are you looking to do? Yeah. Five years, probably five to seven. I think the little rock ones might be a little bit longer hold because uh, our partners have their re uh, retirement money in there. And so they want to keep it a little bit longer. They're on a cash flow play. Uh, yeah. Some people are on a, on a yield play. So um, definitely but if you're looking for above average returns and you have people who are kind of parking their money because they're on retirement, how does that work out? Um, this property could have been um, a flip because we could renovate and add enough value to, to drive that up, force it, and then sell it. Yeah. Uh, they would like to keep it longer just because when you sell something, you have to take that cash that was returned to you plus the profit. I mean, it comes back with friends and you got to go place that in another project. Sometimes that's challenging. They're hard to find. So they're not in a hurry to be flipping or, but I mean, they definitely want to have a, a project with also great returns. They're active investors themselves. They have like a dozen rental houses. So it's not like they're strangers to the game. Got um, they're just not in a hurry. No, I understand. That makes sense. Well, but listen, we need to raise money for bigger deals. Bigger so, deals. The bigger, the better. And we're talking Little Rock, Arkansas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Idaho, Utah, Utah, Idaho, Utah. I would also look in Phoenix. I have a bunch of family there, real estate investing family members there. And then uh, we're from Austin. So I'd look in like San Antonio, that kind of place. I do own one house in Louisville, Kentucky, though, which has been fantastic. I would buy in Louisville for sure. So that's good for your potential partners and people who may want to get into the game and learn a little bit more. Um, I, I want to say thank you again for, for taking the time to really expound and explain uh, some of the big things. Uh, I, I mean, there's so much that you mentioned for some other people, BNI, uh, that is a networking group of <laughs> business networking international. I, I'm familiar with that. I've done that. Um, you also mentioned um, 
Wow, so much. Go back and listen to the rest of it. I won't recap it because we're well over our 25 minutes, but I think this has been very good. No, 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 no. This has been very, very good, I think, for for those who are looking to to get involved and recognize that maybe, you know, single family investing that you've done, you can make a shift over to to, to multifamily. And, um, you know, for, for maybe women or other minorities who may think, I don't quite know, maybe you have the skills, you have the abilities, you can make this happen. So feel free to reach out to Emma. How do they get in contact with you, Emma, online? Because you mentioned you're on the socials all the time. How do they yep. get in contact with you? Um, so on Facebook, I'm always Emma Powell 28. So facebook.com slash Emma Powell 28, linkedin.com slash Emma Powell 28. Uh, I'm not on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. I just, I don't get those platforms. I'm not interested in them, but I, I love Facebook and LinkedIn. And then I'm on, I have a meetup group that we were just local Salt Lake, but with coronavirus, I've been broadcasting that. We meet on the last Thursday of every month that has an accompanying Facebook group called the Passive Cash Flow Real Estate Investing because I'm trying to put people who have projects together with people who have cash and have them go do projects together. Um, it's almost, almost like a marketplace that we're trying to build over there so that people can meet um, who they need. So that meetup is monthly in that Facebook group. We chat in there, share projects, um, things like that. Or if I have capital place, I'll be like, Hey, who's got something going? I'm going to have this right. coming in. I need to place it, that kind of thing. Those kind of conversations. Um, and then, um, how else do they get in contact? You get our email or a phone number. Yeah, I'm also at www.highrise.group. And that is my portal for passive investors. It's just about when we're raising capital, that's my, that's my client facing uh, website. So um, highrise.group and Emma at highrise.group is my email and you can get a hold of me through that way. Um, so, and I, I want to share one more thing, the irony of sure. this situation. We're going to go back to the beginning, <laughs> that guy that I took out for lunch two years ago. Yeah. Speaking, I want to skip residential and go straight to commercial. Um, I can't talk about this too much because I'm not sure which direction we're going with it yet, but this week we are putting an offer on one of his properties that he's a broker on for a high rise um, multifamily in, in a downtown in an opportunity zone. So he at first um, didn't want to work with me because he knew I had never done a project like that before. Um, but now we're talking, we're having serious conversations about, picking that up and, and actually developing that high rise. So that was only two years ago. And it just shows if you, somebody sometimes has to tell you a thing is a thing, but you have to believe that you can accomplish that thing. And I will tell you, this has not been any harder work than building my little wedding photography company. There you go. There uh, you go. So you might as well just go big. Go big or go home. That's what I've been told. So listen, Emma, thank you again for this time in this conversation. It's been very uh, wide ranging even before yeah. uh, recording yeah. this. Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to have some more conversations soon. So um, I'm going to come and ask you, well, what do you need? No, I'm not going to do that. It's a storytelling show. So if you have at least one good story, you can come interview on my show about real estate. So yeah, that would be fun to have you on. Absolutely. Well, listen, thanks again and uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks.